Hello and welcome to Life on Point. My name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors at Connection Point Church in Jackson, Missouri. And with me is Pastor Chris Vault, the lead pastor at Connection Point Church. And today, in fact, before today, you guys do us a favor. Wherever you're watching this or listening to this, if it's a podcast provider, if it's YouTube, wherever it is, give us a few likes, give us a comment, drop some comments down in the comment section. Give us a five-star review. If you can give us a review, do that. And so just continue to support us, share it, and uh, so we can help get this word out there. And today, we'll finally get there. Today, we are going to talk about biblical manhood. Oh, yeah. Biblical manhood. Woohoo! This ought to be a fun one. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there will be plenty of opinions and uh, comments. So Probably it's be a good, so. This is a, a good one. Well, here's the thing about, I think, biblical manhood. Because I know, uh, by the way, in case something weird happens, like a lot of noise starts happening today, here in on this day we're having a concert uh, for a, 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 Christian, a contemporary artist will be here and uh, is here. They're setting up. So they're a ways away. But sometimes when they're testing, it gets a little bit raucous. So if it, you hear something that's not like background music, that is an actual concert preparing <laughs> to happen Preparations tonight. are taking place. But um, several last year, and I just, I'm just i just going to precurse this a little bit. Uh, we had a men event here last year. And, and from that, we I, I did a little four-week study with men. With men. And, uh, and, and in it, we opened up, and the way I opened up, and I asked them to find – a man. And, um, and so they all gave me some answers and it's interesting. Most of us always associate men still with the, the, the stigmas of the past, which all have to do with, with vital or, 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 or extreme masculinity. Right. Mm. And, uh, and I think it's been kind of, uh, of, of ingrained into us that it, it deals with, with, uh, with, with, with strength, with size, with uh, with uh, the capability to lead and all these things, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know and the Bible, yeah, outdoorsman. And so they they named all these things. And it's interesting. We started in that lesson with David. Um, mm. Whenever his father brought his brothers, because the without going into the biblical part of it, the the uh, the priest came to uh, to uh, Jesse, the 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 father of David, and was seeking. He didn't know who he was seeking. He just knew that right. the that the next king was going to come out of the house of right. Jesse, and so he comes to Jesse, and Jesse starts bringing forth his sons. And the interesting mm-hmm. thing about that, and what I pointed out to the guys, was was all of these guys would would, would we would call atypical, prototypical masculine men. Yeah. They their names even meant things like great warrior, yeah. great hunter. They were all these mm, you know man. macho man man. Right. And so when he went through his boys. And just in the in the and the priest said, "This is not it." He's like, "Well, that's all I got." Yeah. He's like, "Are you sure?" I'm pretty confident they started to depart from one another, and and he turned around and said, "Are you sure?" Yeah. Like, well, all right, I got this one boy, but he's not king material. Right. Right. He doesn't fit. He's not as big and bad and fit this 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 like these are men. Right. He's out there. He's playing a harp. And and dancing around. He's a musician. He's not. He's not. No, you can't want him, right? What's his name? Bring him to me. Brings him out. That was the man. God said, this is the one I've chosen. So I set that up. And so, so what is manhood? Right. That's good. You know, we and I love the fact that today we're not going to take 
society's view of yep. manhood because it changes, it seems like, every generation. And right now there's such a war yep. on what a man is or what a man looks like. We're going to go back to the Bible, yep. and we're going to go to Scripture. And just like the illustration you said, um, God told Samuel the prophet when he was looking at all the sons of Jesse, man looks on the outward appearance. That's right. God's looking on the heart. So the first place we've got to go to is beyond the outer shell, beyond the fact if a man is big, strong, masculine, if he's an outdoorsman, if he's got dirt underneath his fingernails, all those, you know, if he's got hair on his face or, mm-hmm. you know, got a gruff voice, none of those things that we look at on the outside and say there's a man's man That's right. is what God starts with. God starts in one place and he said it to the prophet Samuel. God was looking for a man after his own heart, God looks at the heart. So, you know, I think the first key place we need to pick up at is God's going to look at the heart and see if there's a heart of God or humility there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the 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 uh, the writer, the book of James, he, he he brings out a key key thing, and that is exactly what you just said. That one of the big characteristics that a man must have is humility. Mm-hmm. And I think men struggle a little bit with humility. Even the mm-hmm. most humble men, they'll tell you, I'm the very humble man. Yeah, see, we had all the men's <laughs> attention for the first five minutes of yep. the introduction. But then we get to this first point, and it's on what? We humility? Don't humility. Ah, exactly. We'll turn the channel now. Don't turn the channel. Stay with us. And and out of James uh, is chapter 4, verse 10 and when the writer talks about when James talks about it, it's literally like you lay down who you are, mm-hmm. right? And I think a lot of I think men struggle with this idea. I know when I do weddings, um, uh, one of the things I always look at the couple and I say one of the true things about men, because if you remember Paul, it's always been interesting to me. This is a side note that the man who we lean on to be the authority on marriage was never married, mm-hmm. which is Paul. He's never married. Yeah, but anyways, right. but when he's talking to the men and the women, he says a couple of things over and over again. He always says women. Submit, he always tells the men, though, to love their wives. So yeah. three different times. Right. And there's a reason why, I always feel like, because men technically and generally do everything through, through cause for themselves. They do nothing without the perspective of, I'm going to get something on the other side of this. So they have no humility whatsoever. It's, they never do anything. It's not everybody. The, the general heart of men is we, we're going to do something. Yeah, we'll do something that seems really, really nice, mm-hmm. but we're going to get something out of it. Well, yeah, I think I think there's some truth to that. I think another piece of that is is and you, you think about how most of us were raised and the just the whole uh, idea philosophy behind manhood is we're taught men are are to be strong and yep. we're to be the protector. Yep. So what is that? What happens with that? And we'll, I know we'll talk about protector in just a moment, but in this reference, sometimes us taking on that mantra, yep, and, and we think it it supersedes all the rest. Then we pull back emotionally, and most right. men struggle with emotion. I mean, it's fun. I mean, just like you get into church and worship, right? And every, and, and all the women's got their hands raised up, and they're That's singing true. and crying. And what what do dudes do? We just stand there with our arms crossed, like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, let's get mm-hmm. through the music, <laughs> right? But we're we're not emotional per se or affectionate uh, outwardly, even though we may feel it on the inside. So here's Paul, and Paul is saying to men. The, the number one thing you're going to have to work on to be the kind of man God wants you to be is you got to work on this display of affection. You've got to let your heart out a little bit. And for most of us men, we we put a protector up around our heart. And Paul's saying, guys, you've got to let your heart out. Even James, the passage you read, you got to let your heart out. You know, you got to soften it up. And so loving 
our wives like Christ loved the yeah. church. That's deep. It is. And that requires complete sacrifice, complete devotion, great amount of forgiveness and mercy. You know, I think mercy here is a huge word too, or meekness. Yep. Um, meekness being power yeah, under control, one. you know. It's funny you mentioned worship because I one of the earlier things I talked about with the guys, and we talked about worship, um, and we, we, we referenced back to, to David again. David was not shy to worship openly and, and vividly. I'm not talking about preferences here. I'm just talking about whenever he was worshiping, whether privately or in public, he didn't seem to care, I don't think. Mm-hmm. His form of worship, and his is somebody, a man after God's own heart. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking that's as would define a man as anybody would want to. Mm-hmm. If I want to be defined manhood, would would be, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, after, I'm a man after God's own heart. And so the man who was found to be after his own heart was a worshiper. He was. At first and foremost, really. It's what we right. know him as. Right. Yeah, he was the psalmist, right? I mean, he's exactly. writing songs, he's singing, which is also one of the reasons why his dad didn't think he was king material. Yep. But God, again, was looking at his heart. Uh, God is looking at the heart over any other aspect, I believe, of manhood. Our hearts has got to be right. And that doesn't mean we got to be expressive or we got to be overly emotional. It does mean that the center of our heart the purpose, the drive behind us has to be pure. And you think about David, why was he a man after God's own heart? Not just because he was a musician, but he was a man who sought after God. If we're going to have true biblical humility in our manhood, humility has to come at a point of surrender to God's authority over our lives, right? That's what James said. We've got to submit to his authority because Men, we're taught, we're raised, we're, we're this seed's planted in all of us from the littlest time of childhood. Is real men put their boots on and we tackle our problems and we fix things. Yep. And uh, if we're not careful, a sense of pride comes up. We get this pride thinking, I've got to have it all under control. And if God's looking at our heart and our hearts have got to be humble, well, to be humble, you've got to be teachable. That's right. To be humble, you've got to realize you don't always have all the answers, but you right. you'll go after the answer. To be humble, to get there, we're going to have to look to God because God, we got to tell God we know we can't do this alone. We need the Lord in our life. Uh, exactly. So a true man like David has a humble heart because the humility comes from seeking after the heart of God first. And the reason, I mean, it's, and James really he seals that up. He says, the verse says, 310 says, or 410, 410, 410, says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord mm-hmm. and he will exalt you. Mm-hmm. And so David, the reason he was exalted or lifted to that to that place of being the man at own God's own heart and king, well, you're right. It wasn't had anything to do with the fact that he was a worshiper or a songwriter or any of those things. It had to do with his, number one, he was quick to humble himself because we know all throughout the Psalms, he messed up a lot. And nobody is a picture of messing up pretty much as much as David was. David, yeah, And I love that because I think it's important for men to understand. You're going to mess up. Being a true man of God and having a heart that's filled with humility and seeking God doesn't mean you're perfect because, you know, again, men, we get this mindset of, you know, I've got to be right and I can't mess up. That's right. Which then all of a sudden. We can't admit it. Anyways. We can't admit it. Yeah. Well, there's no humility in that either. That's right. So look at what the Bible's teaching us. All just in this one word about humility, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it is that the heart matters. We've got to humble ourselves before God, and then we're not always going to be right. We're not always going to do things perfectly. 
And David is such a great example of a man who had so many mistakes. And, and I know people have questioned, how could God call him a man after yeah. his own heart? Well, it wasn't because he was perfect. Right. I love right. the Psalms. It goes on and says, God remembers that we're nothing but dust. Thank God he understands our failures. But David knew where to go every time he fail. It's quick to repent. That's what the Bible it's quick says. to repent. And I think whenever you look at that word exalt, it means lift. And so, and I think that's exactly what it means. If you're quick to repent, if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he is quick to lift you up out of that mess. And we know that's what um, David talked about in Psalm 40, because he was in a miry mess. (laughs) And he said, you know, how long am I going to be here? Well, the Lord lifted him up out of that mud, right? Right. And and exalted him or lifted him up. And that's exactly, if humility does, it lifts you out of the mire or out of the mud, because Mm -hmm. you humble yourself. And for lack of a better word, it lightens your load. And when you're lighter, man, it's... You just come up, you rise to the top a little bit. Right. So another characteristic of a man uh, that can be tougher, uh, I call, and when I taught them, I said, that's what I called it. I said, you must starve your appetites or your desires. And the verse out of that was Colossians 3, 5. That's what real men do. Real Mm. men starve their desires. Mm. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, Covetousness, say that word for me. Covetousness, covetous, coveting, which is idolatry. Hey, so like I'm that. not going to say it for you because if you re- keep on repeating, it's worse. You will eventually get it. So there it is. Put to death, therefore, that what is earthly in you: sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and coveting. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and so, so you have to squash those things. Starve your appetites. Absolutely. Right? And I think a lot of guys. I think we we instead of starving our appetites, we kind of we kind of sprinkle Twinkies around sometimes. <laughs> I mean, we may not go all in and like eat a steak on on our appetites on our yeah. on our desires, yeah. but we kind of we kind we kind of nibble around the plate, we nibble around the plate, see how close we can get without call being called a full blown right. fallen person. Right, and uh, I see. I, who was it? Was it uh, Jeremiah? I believe it's the the book of Jeremiah, he says, can a man take a fire into his bosom mm, or yep. to his chest and not be burned? That's right. And we know there's no way that can happen. And what he's talking about there is we can't, we can't flirt around with sin. We got to know where our weak areas are. A real man knows he's weak somewhere. That's right. He knows those weaknesses. Too. And, and a real man knows that if I'm weak somewhere, then I've got to raise up some barriers. I got to bring in some protection. Think about this. Job the oldest book in the Bible, uh, before Job went through his time of testing, when Satan came and brought accusation against Job to God, God God actually says, have you considered Job? He's a perfect man. Now, the word perfect there means mature. If God says you're a very mature man, Mm. that is a high honor that God was playing on Job. Did that mean Job didn't have any weaknesses? Now, I love Job 31, verse 1. Let's this. Job 31, 1. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I look at a young woman? He knew where he was weak. Job had the same temptations every man has. And we have temptations everywhere. For a lot of men, it's going to be with lust. For some men, it's going to be with pride. Others, it's going to be with greed. Uh, some's going to be with anger, but we all have our weaknesses and a strong biblical man understands. I know I'm weak in some areas. 
Now what am I going to do to protect myself in that weak area? Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I won't look at a young woman. Mm. Right? Paul made covenants in his life. Peter made covenants. Yep. We all have to make some kind of decision to protect ourselves. That was used for Job. People don't, what we don't understand as Westerners is in his culture, it wasn't unusual. That was something that was common, to be honest with you. You would have a young woman, uh, as your wife got older, an older man would find him in his concubine. He would have younger women in order for him, for her to fulfill the thing, his, his desires that his, his wife, his original wife, no longer would or could, mm-hmm. and so and and so also, if his wife became uh, no longer able to have be- children, yep. they would also move. Concubine ha- could continue. To, like culturally, that's just the way it was. For him to make that statement was pretty landmark, to be it's honest huge. with you. And so the, um, but yeah, so the um, what was I talking? We were starving your appetites. The but whenever we come to David, we were talking to David earlier. He mm-hmm. he, I mean, he's the champion of not starving your appetites at times. <laughs> and if you remember, uh, he he literally passed the the law in the land that a man wasn't supposed to ascend to the rooftop after a certain time of the day because the women of of, of Jerusalem would come up on top of their uh, of their houses their, where wherever they, they lived and they would bathe using the cisterns that were, were on the tops of the roof they would use the water from the top and so it was against the law by David to for people to go to that top of that ladder and where did David find himself at yeah, the top when he found the men himself. went out to war yep and the king usually always went out with them that's right he did he did not and the scripture says that David laid in bed and it was in the afternoon before he ever got out of bed yep so he had no purpose that day. He's just laying around. That's good, yeah. Um, I had I had uh, old folks when I was growing up in church, I used to hear the, the older generation saying, idle mind is the devil's workshop. Yeah. David laid in bed all day, yep. didn't go out with the men when he was supposed to went out with the men. He laid there idle-minded. What happens? When you when you just relax too much in your flesh, temptation temptation is going to rise up. He goes out on the roof at the hour that women were bathing, looks over, sees Bathsheba, and immediately begins to lust after her. Yep. And of course, we know the rest of the story: he commits sin, commits murder, and <laughs> it's crazy. His to an extent, did God forgive him? Yes, but he had to live with the. The tarnished testimony. It cost him. And here we are, 3,000 years past David, still talking about his sin 3,000 years ago. There's a price that comes when we give in to the temptation, right? right? We have to starve our appetites. You know, I think about another one being Jacob and Esau in the Bible. You know, Jacob and Esau were two brothers, and they were twins, but they were complete opposites. Esau is what we would consider a man's a man, man. man. Yep. The Bible describes him as a big man, a hairy man, had hair all Great over him. Great hunter. And he was a hunter. Yep. And he was his daddy's favorite. Daddy boy. Jacob was more effeminate. He was his mama boy. He was a mama's boy, <laughs> didn't want to hunt, stayed in the house, and loved to cook. Yep. And so right here we see. That conflict. The conflict. And yet Jacob would go on, and his name would be changed to Israel, and he would become under literally. You know, yeah. He would literally become the patriarch of the twelve nations yep. or tribes that becomes the nation of Israel. But the day came before all that when um, Esau comes in from hunting. He's all hungry. He smells soup, 
And uh, Jacob is in there cooking. And Jacob, Jacob was a conniver. Friend, I'm yep, telling you, that's what before name. God, before he wrestled with God and God transformed him, he was a deceiving conniver. And he he deceives Esau, or really didn't even deceive him. He just blackmailed him. Yep. Esau comes in. I'm starving to death. Give me some of that soup. He says, I will for your birthright. Now, (laughs) in Jewish heritage, the birthright meant you got two-thirds of the family inheritance, and when your father died, you became the leader of all the family, even your brother's family. That's right. This was huge. And Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And we look at that today, and we're like, that's so silly. That's so crazy. I heard... um, I heard Andy Stanley say this once in a sermon years ago, and I've never forgot. I thought, oh, my lands, how powerful that is. He said, we can't judge Esau too quickly because every man knows we're weak somewhere. That's right. He, he made this statement. He said, you think you would never sell your blessing of God for a bowl of soup? Every man is tempted on the wrong day with the right bowl of soup, that's right. You'll sell your birthright. Think about that. Oh yeah, every time some guys, every time they pick up their phone, it's like they're tempted for that bowl of soup. And that bowl of soup the is wrong day. That's right. You're tired. You're weak. I've said this for a long time in my sermons. When does Satan attack you the most? When you're physically, emotionally, or spiritually worn out. Mm, yep. You're up to temptation. You're more apt to temptation, and the wrong bow of temptation comes on the right day. Mm. That's why, before the temptation comes, you've got to set some boundaries, like what you're talking about. Yeah, no. So the the uh, boundaries are important. I think uh, starving your flesh, and it's and it's that's the thing about it. And when the word I use, starving your appetites, was you because that's kind of a picture of fasting. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not the same, but fasting takes discipline. Mm. It takes a desire. You, you have to be intentional, right? And so you just don't wake up one day and say, "I'm going to fast the next twelve days." You know, it doesn't. No. You got to kind of prepare. mentally prepare yourself for, it. and that's the way your appetite is screaming at you to do these things and you have to quench it. You have to starve it off. And literally the only way you starve it off is you can't give it anything. Mm -hmm. You can't give it anything to sustain itself. The the same principles that you just mentioned in physical fasting is how you fast from temptation as well in your spiritual. It takes that discipline, that devotion and predetermination before the temptation ever arrives. And if you want to mess yourself up, go into a donut shop on a fast. You know what I mean? It just, <laughs> it ends. And most of us go into donut shops instead, and you know, and these are fleshy desires, but we walk into a lot of donut shops and we need to stay out of the donut shops, guys, staying. <laughs> All right. The next thing, no pretty important. Here. no donuts. So the next big one is uh, for characteristics of a man, a real man, a biblical man, is you must protect your family. Mm. And I know that's going to come across like you're talking physical. I'm not saying it's not physical, but it's going to it's going to harken back to the, one of the verses I was talking about earlier out of uh, Colossians 3. No, it's not. It is out of Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and mm. gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, yeah. having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's good. So, I mean, protecting is more than just, you know, being there with a gun in case somebody breaks in. 
It is it is washing them, and when we mean washing, that's praying for them. It is it is sanctifying them. You can't save them, but you can help put them in a situation. You protect your house to keep the sanctification of that house, the the, the sanctity of that house, the uh, protected. You protect the 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 the, uh, the holiness of your household. Yeah, I think that's huge too. I mean, think about it. What you're doing is you're protecting the integrity of the yes. home. So it's not just fighting off those who're coming in in physical form. It's not staring down every dude that looks at your wife, you know, or, <laughs> nope. or uh, make some comment to your kid. Some of protecting your family is the traditions you have in your house. It's how, what do we watch on television? What do we do with social media? How do we talk about folks when no one else is around? What kind of conversations oh, are had? Yep. All these are areas of way of protecting the integrity of our homes by, by the atmosphere that we're creating in our house, right? It's, create, it's protecting the integrity of the home. Um, I think one of the ways biblical men also we protect our families is by sharing wisdom. Mm -hmm. I mean, as we seek God, as we already talked about earlier, and we try to keep a humble heart, if we're going to wash our family like washing of the water of the word, if we're going to help make sure our family is prepared to follow after the Lord, then as we're growing in our faith, we're supposed to then lead that down. We're to teach that down. We're to share that wisdom with others. I love Proverbs chapter 4, if you read Proverbs chapter 4, it's just verse after verse of wise old Solomon trying to tell his child, yeah. hey, there are things you need to watch out for. He's just sharing wisdom. Here's wisdom. Let me share wisdom, and you need to listen. I'm going to share with you some principles, and we need to be able to share that down as we protect our families. Yeah, I think it's, like you said, it's very important because, see, also, and there's more to protecting your family than just being a uh, a a a dictator of your home because mm -hmm. I promise you I mean the, the protecting your home means uh, I mean raising your children in the ways of the Lord mm -hmm. uh, the, let the let the the Bible be something that is spoken of you know highly and often mm -hmm. in your in your in your household because you got if you man I don't care if you have one kid or ten kids more than likely one of those kids will stray at some point sure. they'll get out of bounds a little bit. And, uh, and if they don't love you, respect you, because you're the model of this, mm -hmm. you have to model what you think you're talking about, of this, right. of this protection. You have to be the model of it. You have to model Christ. And if they, if they fear you only, they won't, they'll, mm -hmm. they may fall away and never come back. Yeah, yeah. But if they, if you treat them, if they respect if, you, if you respect you and you love them and they know you don't agree with what they're doing because you put these principles in place and they know they're, they'll learn, they'll know they're rebelling. And at some point or the other, it may be 10 years, 20 years, but they'll come back and you'll reconcile with that yeah. child. I've never seen it not happen. Well, that, that's the, that's the, Jesus told the story of the prodigal son yeah. and that is the message there. That's right. Um, one son stayed at home, did everything the father wanted. The other one completely rebelled, even said to his father, pretty much, you're dead to me. Yeah. But look at the father. The father kept hope out. The father knew where his standard was. The, child, the son knew where the father's standard was. So the son actually leaves home. But when that son woke up in the pig's pen, he mm. knew he could go home. That's right. The father had his standard. But the father also let the child know. This is where the humility piece comes back. It does. The child knew the standard, but knew the father loved him. And when he came home, I love this. The scripture says 
when the father saw his son coming back home, he ran yep. to meet him. And most of us in, a, in American culture doesn't understand the depth of that. In the Jewish culture, when Jesus said that, that was mind-boggling because it was um, not traditional for a Jewish man to run. For a Jewish man to run, he would have to pull up his tunic, right, and tie it around his waist, exposing his legs to run. They just didn't do it. And that that was... Um, Taboo. That was yeah. It was embarrassing for a grown Jewish man to show his legs. Yep. This father didn't care. He wanted his boy. Right. He right. ran after him. So I I think it's so important. We have to be able to protect our families and have the standards, but we got to do it in a way that our family knows they can always come to us. That's right. And he also gave him his ring or his signet, which is his, which would be your inheritance. Yeah. So he, he, did, he, he didn't, didn't take that. Grudges. He didn't hold that against him. He gave him his cloak. Forgave he put him. that on him. Threw so a that party. T- that he, and he had a celebration. So that was a that was a celebrated return to, for a kid who we don't know how long he was gone. Mm-hmm. But we know he completely walked away anger, but because his father had a standard and it was a model of Christ in that house, his yeah. son returned and they reconciled. That's right. And it won't make everybody happy based off the other side. And, and, and the other, the flip side to, I don't want to get you off track no, here, good. but the flip side of protecting is providing. Well, that's where it's going. Th- oh, well, <laughs> that's the so next one. Right on. Just, and this one's tough because the next one was provide for your family. That's First Timothy 5 3. And this one's mm. 5 8. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 5 8. I can't. 5 8. I'm rebelling. I'll do this. <laughs> 5 8. That's why I've been kind of meandering through this sometimes. <laughs> Pride, you know, humility thing. Put that in the comments. Tell him to just put right the glasses here. Put on, the dude. dumb glasses on. So I'm going to read this because this one needs to be read. Up. This one's tough. <laughs> but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow, that's deep. Ouch, man. That's deep. That is that is tough. You know, there's one word that comes to my mind when you think about this passage. When you say a man's got to work um, and, and provide for his household, the word here is responsibility. Yep. What, what is Scripture saying? A man who won't take responsibility for his family, right? So there's this idea that we have to take responsibility. Um, I know I've had people come ask me that uh, we're physically unable now to provide and they would feel guilty because of an injury about not being able to go to work. And I have to say, you know, that's not what Scripture here is talking about, that, you know, if you're disabled, you can't. You're providing in a different way now. Yep. It's, it's making sure your family is taken care of. It's using what resources you have. It is using wisdom. It's not being lazy. It's taking responsibility. And it's not necessarily – this is not a look at how much money you make. You it can make – whether you make $15,000 a year or $150,000 no, a year, it doesn't matter. No. That's not the, not the deal. Are you providing for your family is different necessarily than the fiscal aspect. It is the fiscal aspect of it. You should do everything in your power mm-hmm. to make sure your fa- family is provided for. According to that – you don't judge it next to your neighbor. No, which is getting back to that humility thing. I think a lot of us struggle with that. I think a lot of guys – because I think – because I think – this comes back and bites a lot of people. It's, it, it all ties back into that humility aspect of it. I think most of us look at our neighbors and see what they have, and we want to keep up with the Joneses, as they used to say. Mm-hmm. And so, so then our focus turns away from the family. So no longer are we are we protecting our family because our our attention goes to our job, mm-hmm. and then we take the providing part and we run it. It runs the muck. Cause it's really not about providing; it's about keeping up with somebody. It's about mm-hmm. showing the mm-hmm. world that you are mm-hmm. that you have 
that you are good or you are able or you are successful. And so you go out and you make your whole life about work Mm -hmm. and you spend 80 hours a week at work. You don't talk to your family. You're never there for a meal. You have no, you're not able to protect your family because, and and you're, and then guess what? You let's when you find yourself, as we were talking about earlier, where your flesh gets weak because you're, and you people fall into affairs at work because they're burnt. That happens all the time. Exactly. Because they're trying to, trying to do this thing right here. They're providing for your family, but they're not worried about providing for the family. That was the reason that's a different thing yeah that was their heart but it's not it's all about a lack of humility it's about trying to do something that you're not i think this is so important for people especially men who are watching got to get a hold of this um i was recently with a pastor friend of mine who has a very successful businessman in his church this businessman has had an incredible experience with christ and in humility he came and spoke to his pastor He said for years, he was very high in the corporate world. For years, he said, I busted it. I worked all the time, and I would come home from my business trips. Watch this. I would come home with a pocket full of cash to a house full of strangers. Mm. And now what he wishes he could do is give back some of the money to have more time back with his kids and provide for them what they really need. See, we our, our families don't just need the financial package. Nope. They need you, Dad. That's right. That's providing. They need you. They need your wisdom. One of the things we provide, just like the Proverbs 4 passages, we provide our wisdom. We provide a model, an example of what a work ethic looks like, but also what a healthy balance looks mm. like. What does it look like to be able to work and provide, have a career, also love your wife? I mean, think about it. Every child should know, every son should know what kind of man I want to become by watching how the father loves the wife and the family. That's right. Every girl should know what kind of husband she's going to want to find one day because she ought to want to find one who loves her and respects her the way daddy loves and respects wife that's right right this this should be our goals and that's that's what a biblical man's goal should be now you may be coming into this way down the road and a lot of those time has passed you can't go back and start all over but you start where you are now that's right Uh, but our families need us more than just the wallet they need the model right in the home yeah, the model is probably the greatest provision you can make for your family. I mean, we know from ancient culture, whenever the, the Hebrew men would go, their most of their jobs were either fishing or shepherding. Mm-hmm. And they and once their sons got to a certain age, they would take them with them. So they would model Teach it after them, them. how to work. And in that culture, the, the, the women would take care of things around the house and around the mm-hmm. fields and their immediacy. And they would take their daughters when they got to a certain age, and they would do those things with them. So they taught, they taught, they passed these things on. They were providing for their family. Even Paul taught this in the book, uh, was it Paul, the book of Titus? Or is it the book of Jude? I believe it's Titus. He says, older men it's Titus. raise up the younger men. The older women teach the younger women at home. And what he's doing is using the culture. He's he not saying that you know only boys can go to work and women got to stay home. That's not what he's teaching there. It's cultural. Yep. But within the culture, he's teaching a bigger principle. And the principle is... We model it down, we raise them up, and we get them involved with us. 
And that's to me that defines uh, provision as much as anything. Financial part is a big part of it. You must work, not be lazy, not be slothful. Mm-hmm. Is what the Bible will say, but that's not the the biggest part of it. You're the biggest. The biggest thing you can give your children is your time mm-hmm. and your attention. Mm-hmm. You give your family time and attention. You're you're a man that has more money than the richest man in the world. That's right. I promise you that's that. Right. Yeah, you might not be able to stay in the nicest resort in Florida when you go down there. You won't be inside the the gated community. But you can be in a little low place. You can go on vacation sometimes, but you might only be, go one a be year. King in your home. Be king in your home, and, and trust in your me, kids' eyes. You're richer place. than any man who ever walked the face That's of the right. earth. Lastly, is we are to act as the spiritual leader. Mm. One of the many verses mm. that that points out is in Ephesians five twenty three, mm-hmm. where it says, "For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church." his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Mm-hmm. We know this gets like, like killed in, in, in public sector now. And, uh, and when we, we repeat that and I don't, there's a lot of people who don't even say this anymore in weddings anymore right. because of the cultural irrelevance, it seems right. Mm-hmm. But more than anything else, it's trying to point out something that's very, very, very important, and that is through the husband, through the man of the house, that is where spiritual authority should come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, if you continue reading in the chapter, he, he Paul gets on to the point where he kind of concludes it all with, what are we to do? Men are to love their wives. Again, we've already dealt with the issue that that's, that's a huge issue for us men to truly love and show that sacrificial love like yeah. Christ loves the church. That's right? right. But that is how much we're to give to our families, give our all to the family. Then women, when it gets to that submission piece that nobody yep. wants to talk about, it's just dealing with respect. That's all it is. Because if a man truly loves his family and the wife is showing the man the respect, which is what builds up his self-esteem, right? Yeah. You have this beautiful partnership here. Now something beautiful has happened. This is truly what it means when two become one flesh. You've got love, you've got respect, honor in the same home, and now a beautiful model laid out for the children. And so like here in this passage you're reading, the man understands that leading my family is not just the cultural thing to do. This is not just the social expected norm for a biblical man. This is spiritual leadership. Right. As Christ loved the church, he gave himself. We're to, we're to make sure our family is in love with the Lord. And then in Ephesians 6, the very next chapter, he gets on to fathers and he says, he fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but raise them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And he's saying the way we lead our families needs to be done in a way that we love the Lord and in humility we teach our families to love the Lord. And when we're teaching our children, we shouldn't teach our children by just a bunch of list of do's and don'ts. That never works, by the way. we got to reach their heart and get them to fall in love with the Lord because if you fall in love with the Lord, you don't want to sin. You don't want to go in the wrong direction. Then you're more open to corrective criticism and correction because your heart has been connected. Don't stir up anger in your children. Raise them up in the love of the Lord. That's powerful. Yeah, whenever, and it's kind of modeling this idea uh, to me when I read that verse and when I read what it talks about Jesus being sacrificial um, because Jesus was called the high priest for a reason. I think so what he's asking us to do, and this is going to sound also odd, 
is to be more or less the priest of our household. Mm. And what does that look like? I think a lot of us have the wrong idea as a problem. We think that that mean, means we get the Lord over our house. And that's yes. not what it's that's talking what it's about. Because the number one job of the of, of the of the priests in the time of in the temple when during Jesus's time was sacrifice. Sa- the sacrifice was their was their primary function. They were they were worried about the sacrifices that were going on. They sacrificed what they did. They sacrificed their existence for the purpose of keeping that temple running. Yes, yes. And so the, uh, and so that is sacrifice is the key. In fact, whenever you go into uh, the, the Bible study that I did here uh, for those men was, uh, I named it Stako and Stako is taken directly. It's a Greek word uh, taken directly from first Corinthians 16, 13. And this would be a really good thing to wrap up on. Uh, first, uh, first Corinthians 16, 13 says, be watchful, stand firm Act like men, mm-hmm. be strong. But here's the kicker: is sixteen fourteen. Stako means to stand firm, but sixteen fourteen says and kind of encapsulates everything we've been saying. Let all you do be done in love. Amen. Amen. That reminds me of what Paul's teaching is the exact same message God gave Moses to give to the children yep. of Israel to families thirty five hundred years ago. In Deuteronomy chapter six, the Shema. Mm, yep, that's what Paul's saying there. Right, take responsibility in the Shema. Uh, that's when they were coming out of Egypt and getting ready to go into the Promised Land, and God gives these instructions not to the priest, but to the priest of the home, yep. the fathers. And He says to them, "These words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat these to your children." Talk about them when you sit in your house and walk along the road and lie down and get up and bind them together on your hand and as front as symbols on your forehead and write them on the doorpost of your house. Mm, yeah. Right. And what was he teaching them? The Shema is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then we know later it was added to it and love your neighbor as yourself. Lead your family to the Lord in love. We don't have to make this complicated. It's not difficult. You don't have to be a theologian to do this. Mm-mm. If the father has a humble heart, and you mentioned more, a moment ago, it's not about lording it over. If we get to the attitude that we are lording over our families, we've lost the humility that we yep. started with, right? Yep. It's not about it's not about dictatorship. It's about lovingly leading our family to love the Lord with all their heart. That's right. How do we do that? We talk about the Lord on a normal basis. When we get up in the morning, throughout the day, when we go to bed at night, we we make talking about God normal in our homes. Mm. We model it. And has, said how much of what we've said today Modeling. goes back to men being biblical is loving the Lord, being humble, and modeling it in front of others. Because if you do that, it seems like all the other things just kind of fall into place. Because if you're wanting to model, if you fall in humility, humility, you'll see the 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 wrongs in your flesh, and you'll try to starve those flesh. And if you're trying to starve those flesh, you eventually you'll 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 try to protect your family so they can be spiritually whole. Like you have now found, you know, your spiritual wholeness, and then and because of that, you'll always want to be a provider for your family, be that model mm-hmm. of who Christ is. And then if you do all those things, and naturally you're going to fall right into place of being a spiritual leader of your That's household, right. and it all line itself out well that's our brief take on on what being a a biblical man is all about there's a lot of different takes on it but that's what we got you and so hopefully we'll see you soon and we hope that you continue to live a life on point and we'll see you next time